Let's jump in for the next two weeks, um, this week and next week. I'm, I'm going to preach from this parable that when I read it, I, I saw a different angle that I wanted to preach from. It's in your Bible, Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, verse 33. If you've got your Bible, you can go with me to the New Living Translation or just follow along as we read the story Jesus told his listeners. He said, now listen to another story. A certain landowner planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and he also built a lookout tower. Come on, look at his impressive turnkey startup. All right, this landowner is not giving out shabby tools. He's giving state-of-the-art new equipment to hook a brother up. Tell, say, hook a brother up. Okay, then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and he moved to another country. At that time, the grape harvest, uh, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crop. Now let's see how the tenant farmers respond to the gracious gift of this landowner. He hooked them up. He took care of them. He provided for all of their needs, set them up for success. Let's see how a human being responds to that kind of gracious gift giving. But the farmers grabbed his servant, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Say, that's not a good idea. <laughs> Go ahead. You can say that. Preach with me. That's not a good idea. You're thinking it like that was a dumb idea. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Listen, so, um, so the landowner sent a larger group of servants to collect for him, but the results were the same. Finally, the owner sent his son, thinking, surely they will respect my son. But when the tenant farmers saw his son coming, they said to one another, here comes the heir to this estate. Come on, let's kill him, and then we'll get the estate for ourselves. They're literally thinking they can take possessions that aren't theirs by brute force, willpower, and out, uh, out uh, cunning, you, you know, deception. And, and, and sometimes I wonder, sometimes if we think the same thing about things that are not ours, things that were God's in the first place, I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 39, so they grabbed him, dragged him out of the vineyard, and murdered him. I heard some people laughing like, he had too much coffee today. He's excited about this message. Come on, I want you to get your freedom. um, So they grabbed him, dragged him out of the vineyard, and murdered him. When the owner of the vineyard returns, Jesus asked, what do you think is going to happen to those farmers? And the religious leaders replied, he will put the wicked men to a horrible death and lease the vineyard to others who will give him his share of the crop after each harvest. You know, what I love about the Bible is it is a living word. There, there are so many things that you can receive out of the same text. That's why even when you've read the Bible, all, of, uh, all people realize that I love reading it over and over again because God can speak something similar yet something different and show you some new things. And there's a lot to receive out of this parable. What is clear is God's got a parallel or a metaphor going on that God is clearly the vineyard giver who is hooking up his sons and daughters, making sure that they have the best of the best. And there's something we get to see about God's heart in that. And we also know that when he sends his son and his servants, that's indicative of him sending prophets like Elijah and Elisha and John the Baptist saying, get the road ready, get your heart ready. And then they sent Jesus, but the people killed him too. Now we can 
preach that message, but that's another message for another day. What I noticed is that we get to see the heart of God towards people in his gracious gift giving, and we'll talk about that next week. We also get to see how humans can default to responding to God and his gratuity as well. We get to see hearts on display in this story. And so next week is about the heart of God. But today we're going to talk about the heart of man. And if you're taking notes, write down this very creative title I worked on. It's called Cash and Cardiacs. Come on, baby. We're talking about cash and cardiacs. We're talking about our treasure, our giving, and our money as it relates to our heart. Because we see hearts in this. Let's pray. God, we pray that... uh, in our cash, in our, in our money, in our treasures, in our possessions, and most importantly, in our hearts, that we give you all honor, glory, and praise. Father, we put ourselves back on the potter's wheel, and we say that we want to be soft enough for you to mold us and shape us into your image. We love you. We desire to look more like you in Jesus' name. And the body who agrees with that can say, Amen. Amen. Now, since we're in the middle of a finance series, it reminds me a little bit of a Boudreaux and Thibodeau joke I was saving just for this series. How many of y'all want to hear a joke this morning? All right, okay. If you don't know my my friends, Boudreaux and Thibodeau, they're just simple Cajun men. They're just simple Cajun men, and Thibodeau had uh, Boudreaux do some work for him around the house, so Thibodeau uh, uh, gave him a check and, and for his, uh, his services rendered, and Boudreaux asked him, what do you want me to do with this? For all my younger people, a check is a piece of paper where you get to write a date, a certain amount of money, and if you go take it to a bank, they give you money. Boudreaux had a similar response. He said, he said I don't want this, I want money. Where's my money? And he said, Boudreaux, That check is like money. If you take it down to the bank, they're going to give you cash for that. So he went ahead and put that in his pocket, got in his P-Row and uh, rode down the bayou to the first bank of Moripaw. He walked up into the first bank of Moripaw, walked up to the teller, and he said, give me my money. (laughs) The teller said, Boudreaux, it's been a long time since we've seen you in the bank before. It's nice to see you today. If you will kindly sign the back of that check, I'll be happy to give you money. He said, I'm not signing anything. I was told that if I give you this check, you'll give me money. Now give me my money. The bank teller said, Boudreaux, all I need you to do is sign the back of that check, and I will happily give you money. He said, I'm not signing anything. Give me my money. He said, I can't help you if you're not going to sign the back of the check. So Boudreaux took his check, he put it in his pocket, and he said, I'm going the next bank. He got in his P-Row. He rode down to the second bank of Moripaw. He walked up to the bank and teller and he went, give me my money. The bank teller said, Boudreaux, we don't get to see you around here very often. If you'll just sign the back of the check, I'll give you my money, your money. And he said, I'm not signing anything. I told the last guy that. Well, the bank teller reached over the counter, grabbed Boudreaux by the shirt, and just started smacking him left and right. Sign the stinking check. You're going to sign this thing right now. You're going to. And then he put him back down. And Boudreaux quickly signed the check. He gave him his money, and he took his money, put it in his pocket, rode back down to the first bank of Moripaw, walked into the teller, slammed his money down, said, I got my money. The bank teller said, how'd you do that? He said, I signed the back of the check. And the guy said, I told you that I would give you money if you just do that. He said, yeah, but you didn't explain it like he explained it. (laughs) Come on now. Listen, sometimes... I think we need somebody to explain it like he's trying to explain it. Do you know 
that one of the most important topics that's covered more than any other topic in your Bible is on money. It's the second most covered topic in the Bible because it tells us something about our heart. And some people are like, I don't understand the Bible, so my, my job today is to explain it like God wants me to explain it in today's language, all right, that um, it's really about the heart. Tell your neighbor it's all about the heart. See, in this parable, we realize that really our heart is revealed through property, possessions, and pesos, Come on, our properties, possessions, and pesos will tell us the state of our heart. Um, in fact, if you track your treasure, you will unearth your heart. Uh, how many of y'all have gotten those end-of-the-year reviews from maybe your bank account or from a card, and they're like, you spent this much on entertainment, and you spent this much on utilities, and then you see you spent this much on food. You're like, say, what? How much did I spend on food? Inflation is a beast. Okay, anyway, and, 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 but that's why Matthew 6.21 says, your heart will always be where your treasure is. So this series is not all about your finances as much as we have to look at our finances to check the state of our heart. In fact, um, we see in this parable where God's heart is, it's to hook his children up. And we see where humans' hearts is, it's to hoard, to keep, and to try to make our own. It's almost like our default uh, mode of operation is to hoard or think there's not going to be enough and I must keep as much as I possibly can. And so if we want to get better at money and if we want to grow stronger in our faith, we would be wise to pay attention to our heart and what our hearts are telling us about it. In fact, there's a problem. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says the problem is your heart, say your heart, your heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. That means it likes to lie to us more than any other person in our life. Your heart will go, it's all good. You're doing it all right. We are happy. We are healthy. We have no offenses. And the heart is lying to us because we know our heart needs a check every once in a while, right? We've all heard stories of people who had thought they had great hearts only to discover through a little examination that the heart was in jeopardy or one step away from a big issue. I can remember a few years back, my parents called and said, your dad had to get his heart checked and... Um, he passed the stress test. He ran his lungs out uh, on, on the stress test and everything. He was in great shape, and yet they said a widow maker was forming, and had we not caught this, there could have been a moment just like that. And so the heartful is deceitful among, uh, among anything else. And so it's hard for us to check our own heart. He says, who really knows how bad it is? And then it says, but I, the Lord, search all hearts. I examine them, and I examine their secret motives, and I give people their due rewards. See, there's a problem to me because our heart will lie to us, yet God examines it readily. And so we have to get intentional with our hearts. And when we touch our treasure and our finances, it'll tell us the state of our heart sometimes. How many of y'all have noticed your heart telling you something as inflation rises, as the margin gets smaller? My heart's starting to ask some questions that I had to ask myself. Maybe you had to ask similar questions. Questions like, will I continue to be grateful or will I become fearful? 
Um, here's another question. Put those on the next slide. Now, I've got to ask the question, will I trust God or will I trust my intuition? Am I going to let him be God or am I going to let my brain become God at this point? I need to ask questions. Will I give God his first fruits that he is deserving or will I pause that portion of my faith until it's a better season that I'll go ahead and uh, engage that part of my life as well again? Maybe sometimes it's not so much about the finances as much as it's about the heart behind the financial decisions. Amen? You're like, I don't like this message. All right, that's okay. We're going to check the heart through the mode of our finances. In fact, here's three quick premises that I'm building off of, and I've shared two of these. Number one, the heart is harder for us to perceive, but is examined by God readily. So that's a problem. It's hard for us to perceive, but it's examined by God readily. Number two, if you want to unearth the state of your heart, track your treasure. See where you spend the most and where you're putting your most faith at. And so it brings me to this. This message about ducks in a row is about taking a look at your money and letting it tell you the state of your heart towards God. So that we can get our ducks in a row financially, but more importantly, we'll get our ducks in a row spiritually as well. If you're ready, say, go ahead and preach this. All right, cool. Here's far... Not, that sounded like fart. Here's four. I'm just keeping it real. That's not what I was trying to say. Four heart. I mix four and heart. There you get fart. Okay, anyway. Four heartaches that can hurt us. Four heartaches. I, I laugh at myself a lot. Like, where were you going with that? Four heartaches that can hurt us. And I believe that the wicked tenants in the story of the vineyard probably had a number of these going on. And we would be wise to check ourselves to make sure that we're not having these heartaches as well. The first two I'm going to give you are in relationship with our relationship with God. The second two are about our relationship with our neighbor. Okay, so write this down. Number one, here's the first heartache that hurts us. It's the scarcity heart. A scarcity heart. This heart often thinks God's broke or limited in what he can do. <laughs> there are certain things he can do, but he can't do this. There, there must not be enough. Daddy's broke. Daddy's cheap. Daddy's mad. There's only so much of the pie, and God needs my money. If you've ever had any of these thoughts before or know somebody who's had these thoughts, then sometimes there's a scarcity heart going on on the inside where we actually think God's either poverty or he's tight or uh, he needs something from me. And I'll give you the problem with each heartache. And here's the problem with this one. The problem is you don't understand God is omnipotent. Omnipotent is a fancy word that means he's all-powerful and he's able to do anything. See, our minds can try to figure out financial problems and we're limited to human rationale, human reasoning. There's only so much black before it turns into red. I don't know how we're going to make it. There's more month than there is money. Come on. And we start rationing these things and we start limiting God to our human um, uh, understanding. But God is limitless. He's far greater and beyond all things that we could ask for or 
or imagine. And so I see in the Bible where God's own disciples, his 12 closest people, were, were given a heart check as well. It sounded like this in Luke chapter 9, where God said uh, Jesus had 5,000 men who were following him. That didn't include women or children. So there's probably 12 to 15,000 people following him at this point. The disciples start coming up with human rationale, running digits in their numbers. They got their little iPhones out with calculators going, $15,000 times 10 people ahead. People getting hungry up in here. We ain't got no bank flow like that. And so they come up with this, this idea that sounds really smart. Jesus. How about you dismiss the message? I know you've been long-winded, and I know everybody hangs on every word you say. But how about you send them home to get a nap and a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Because we don't know how we're going to feed them, and everybody's becoming hungry. And, and Jesus says this, you feed them. Scarcity heart starts going. I, I, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking Thaddeus, one of the 12 we don't get to hear much about, is running numbers in the background. $15,000 times $12 a pop is 180 and, and so the scarcity heart is like, where's it going to come from? There's not enough dollars in the bank. We don't have enough to provide. They say this, there's nothing to eat here. We only have five loaves and two fish. We can hook up three of them. What are we going to do with the other 14,997 of them? We ain't got nothing. We're going to run out. And, and they ask this, are you expecting us to go to the market and feed them? You want to see my bank account? I haven't been fishing for fish lately or turning in money at the market. Last I checked, you told me to fish for men. I'm broke. I'm just following you around. You want us? Don't you feel that way sometimes when God's like give? When God's like take care of them? When God's like show hospitality? You're like, you want us? You see what I'm working with over here? It's a scarcity heart set that starts to begin to beat a little bit. And Jesus helped them understand that I could take five loaves and two fish and I can turn it into an endless supply if you'll put your faith in me. The problem is you've got your faith in human rationale. You've turned your mind into your greatest God. But my, me, God can do greater and far uh, past anything you can ask or imagine. I love art. And one piece of art that I really love is a German piece of art called Checkmate in English. It's called Checkmate in English, and it looks like this. And it was on display in uh, Germany one time when uh, a tour of people were walking through an art gallery, and the living, breathing chess master at the time was walking through on the tour. He stopped to inquire about it, and the, the tour guide said, it's the devil who has this human soul in checkmate. And so he's enjoying watching him quiver and try to figure out how he's going to respond because his back's up against the wall. He's trapped, and he knows he's defeated. And the tour continues to move on, but the chess master stops and ponders, and he stays there. And after a period of time, the tour guide went and found the chess master, and the chess master said, there's a problem with your art piece. You have mislabeled it. The artist mislabeled it. He says, why is that? He said, it should not be called checkmate. It should be called check, because I examined the board, and the human has a king who's got one more move. 
I'm here to tell you that when you think you're under checkmate and the devil's like, I got you now. You about to sink. We're about to take you out. I need you to understand. You got a king and he's always got one more move. You are not in checkmate. Your king can turn the whole thing around. Listen, the enemy likes to throw up a front and he likes to bark at us and he likes to make us think that he's got our back up against the wall. And a scarcity heart attack will start palpating and realizing I got to cling to every last dollar I got. But I'm here to tell you, king. He's got one more move. He could turn five loaves and two fish into feeding 15,000 people. And here's the solution for this heart. Psalm 50, verses 9 and 10 says, I do not, this is God speaking, I do not need the bulls from your barns or the goats from your pens. For all the animals of the forest are mine. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. And when your mind has run out of where the black is coming from, I'm here to tell you I can make it appear out of nowhere. I am the God who makes a way where there is no way. You poor Israelites who are broke and enslaved in Egypt, when you leave Egypt, you shall become not the most poverty nation ever. You shall become the richest nation. And all of history will record will record the greatest transfer of wealth in all of humanity. And that's the day a bunch of slaves, about a million slaves, walked up to Egyptians and said, I will take my freedom and I'll also take your gold now. And if I'm an Israelite, I'll say, I'll just take my freedom. Let's not push the limit. Come on, we don't need to take so much. We'll figure it out when we get into the desert. He said, no, ask for their gold too. Some of us would be really uncomfortable going, hey, I'm free now and... I know you lost your firstborn son, but can I have that bracelet too? That's looking shiny. I like that. I like that necklace too. You're like, come on, man. <laughs> Seriously? And it says they readily gave it to them. The problem is people have a habit of forgetting how good their God is, making a way when there is no way. And they turn that gold into false gods, which is a lowercase g, instead of putting all your bases on the capital G, G. Come on. Can we give an amen right now to God and give him some celebration? Today I got excited, which means I got to go quick through the other three hearts before we get you out of here. Number two, the second one in relationship to God is the irresponsible heart. The irresponsible heart often uses faith as a front for poor stewardship. In other words, God's my sugar daddy. Spin the way because he'll figure it out. Uh, I know I shouldn't, but God will provide. The Bible says this, though, that you have stewardship in the vineyard. While the vineyard has been hooked up to you and given as a gift, there is still accountability. There is still stewardship. Jesus once said it like this, or no, it wasn't Jesus. I believe it was Paul. Either way, a great man once said, if you're going to build a building, you should count the cost before you start the foundation. Otherwise, if you start it and then fall short, People behind your back will begin to mock you. I think what can happen, here's the problem with the irresponsible heart. I love your faith, but the problem is it's a poor reflection on God to carry his name while digging holes that other people have to bail you out of. Okay, I know this is getting too real. You're like, I don't like this heart. Let's just move on, Pastor Drew. 
But here's the thing. Sometimes in the name of faith, we can do things that we know are not very faith-filled. Uh, maybe it's faith-filled because we trusted God for something, but he trusted us to make a good choice with what he trusted us with. And so if we carry the name of Jesus Christ, if we are all ambassadors, then we shouldn't be representing God going, my God is the God who's kindly all, all the time going, can you bail me out? Can you bail me out? Our God is the one who's readily bailing others out, us out. Okay, so now listen, let me be very clear. I am not talking about people who have fallen on hard times because of unforeseeable circumstances. I'm not talking about accidents or natural disasters. I'm talking about people who said, I know I shouldn't. He'll figure it out anyway. That is the same spirit that Paul once referenced when he said, just because we have grace, should we go on sinning? Absolutely not. We should not abuse the grace of God but we should be grateful for all that God has provided for us. And so um, um, here's the solution to the irresponsible heart. Luke chapter 12, verse 48 says, To whom much is given, from them much will be required. Yes, I gave you a vineyard, but it can be taken away if you're going to be a sloppy steward of the whole thing. Okay, uh, you've got to embrace stewardship. It's our part of the responsibility. Here's the third heart, and now I'm getting into hearts that expose our feelings towards our neighbor. Number three, say number three. The greedy heart. The greedy heart is selfish towards others and only trusts yourself. It says things like, I worked hard for this. They'll do evil things with it if I give it away. I don't trust this in others' hands. Here's the problem with the greedy heart. The problem is the hoarding heart is unable to be on mission with God, which is always bigger than ourselves. If you hoard, then you can only be as big of a vision as what you can accomplish on your own. But God says, my harvest is great, but the workers are few. I've got so many lost people, and I'm literally holding back the second coming of Jesus until all my people are saved. And it's going to take generous hearts. It's going to take hearts coming together who are not just trusting in themselves, but are able to trust in something bigger than themselves and trust to, to reach even further than our ourselves we will always limit the mission God's called us to as long as our vision's as big as ourselves that's why in each one of us there is a desire to be a part of something bigger than ourselves it's like God put it there knowing that my kingdom work is massive and I'm going to need not greedy hearts but I'm going to need generous hearts walking through this together and by the way we are aware at Lift Church that many Christians feel this way about the church. Maybe you've get, been given bad information. Maybe you've been a part of a church where you could not trust the stewardship. Or you've learned of people on national media who didn't handle finances right and you might be reserved. We know that your heart is probably to be gracious or your heart is to be generous, but you don't know if you can trust others. I want to tell you, even though we're only a three and a half year old church, even though um, we have a younger staff leading us, we do have an older board who watches all things and over 
overseers, I want to report to you that number one, one of our policies is all of our accounting is done by an external source who knows all the highest accounting principles. And so we submit to their leading. Also, number two, we voluntarily put ourselves through an audit this year. Yes, this three and a half year old church put ourselves through the audit. And we just found out two weeks ago, we got the highest rating an auditor can give a nonprofit. We want you to feel good about any of your giving, that it is handled with wise stewardship by the highest practices. And by the way, it does not stop here, but it goes beyond our walls and it makes a difference beyond just Salisbury area. Come on, y'all give all glory to God right now. What's the solution to a greedy heart? Well, Mark 12 says a conversation Jesus had with his disciples. They said to this, God, should we give, uh, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus said, show me a Roman coin and I'll tell you whose picture and title are stamped in it. And they said, that's Caesar's face on there. And, and Jesus said, well, then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Let me help you understand what he was saying. That coin's got Caesar's face on it. So give Caesar's what Caesar's. Whose face is stamped on every human being? Whose image was every human being made in? If it's got my face on it, then give to God what is God's. That means we can't be greedy with our stuff. It's not mine in the first place. I was made in his image, and so were you. Look at your neighbor and say, you made in the image of God, baby. Come on, you're preaching to somebody. We couldn't do it without him. So give to God what is deserving of God. And number four is a vain heart. A vain heart is prideful in your accomplishments and needs other people to view you as successful. Okay, now, the problem with a vain heart is we can have a need that we're trying to fill through our own materialism like look what I've done look what I drive look who I've become now before we start casting judgment on people because of materialism we need to make sure that we understand that possessions aren't a bad thing as long as our heart is on track with what God has given us okay so you can have nice things and still have a pure heart many people in the Bible had that by the way you cannot have nice things and your heart can be dirty as you judge people who have things that are a little nicer than you think. It happens in church circles. They shouldn't have so much. They shouldn't have so little. God wants you to be rich. God wants you to be poor. I think both hearts are a dirty heart that we need to be careful of. We need a check of the vanity in our own heart. But here's the problem with the vain heart. The problem is it robs God of his deserving glory. It takes all the glory in the room and it sucks it up to yourself. And it's like, look at me, magnetized to me, when all of the glory should pass upwards. The Bible says this as a solution in Matthew 6, 19 and 20. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moth and rust, they destroy them, where thieves break in and steal them. Store your treasures up there in heaven and then you will receive eternal rewards. Amen. Come on, these are four heartaches that I see hurt us a lot of times. And I don't mean to step on your toes today, but I do want to speak the word of God truthfully all the time and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Now, here's the great thing about the Holy Spirit. If we keep our hearts soft, then he softly and gently convicts us and molds us more into his image. 
It's the moment we get hard that we have to hear hard teaching that breaks us. So what's the state of your heart today? And next week I'll talk about the heart of God. But today, let me finish by saying this. Has the Holy Spirit revealed anything to you about your heart today? Would you close your eyes, bow your heads, and let the Holy Spirit speak for just a moment. What's he saying about the state of your heart? If you tracked your treasure, what are you unearthing in your heart? Is it... it is there a scarcity heart going on where God wants to inject you with more faith today? That he can do all things and the king has one more move. Is it an irresponsible heart where God's just convicted you a little bit that we've got some work to do and, and, and he's going to give us the freedom that he died for through understanding this? Is it a greedy heart that needs to become a bit more generous and trust other people or is it a vain heart that needs to lay down selfish motives and the need to be seen? Come on. My heart's not to pick on anybody today, but my heart is so that the Bible says this, search me and know me. See my heart. Create in me a clean heart, God. Give me clean hands and a clean heart so that I will be right in His sight. If you're uh, in this room or online, let me pray for you right now. Father, whatever's going on in our hearts right now, I just pray healing. God, I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you expose some things that we can do work on and you entrust us to do a work. Father, let us be found good stewards who will put in to some work to ready our hearts and to prepare them more like yourself. Father, in areas where you want us to be generous, help us to be generous. In areas where you want us to love on our neighbor, help us to love on our neighbor. But Father, use us and use the treasure you have given us. It was all yours in the first place to bless your people in Jesus' name. I pray favor over your people. For when you desire to build the church, you do it through the people in the church. So I pray favor over your people. Freedom over your people. That they are able to get out of debt and to get out of enslavement in various areas. God, that you would give them promotions and that you would give them favor in areas that will not only bless them, but bless your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. You do realize that, right? If God wants to build his church, he's got to do it through his church, which is people, not buildings. And you are his church. Before I close this experience, with every head still bowed, every eye still closed, my question is, how's your heart towards God? I'll tell you his nature next week, but let me give you a sneak peek. He's a vineyard keeper who wants to hook you up. He's the one who provides every single need you could want. He's the one who watches over. He's the one who cares for you. He's the one who turns five loaves and two fish into enough for your starving heart to survive. He's the one who pardons an unforgivable debt you would never be able to reap to show you his love. The greatest debt that we carry is the debt of sin. And we know it causes a sinking feeling that if we had to face him today, I don't feel like I would be right with God. Well, today is your day to ask for repentance. And God says, through the work of his son on the cross, you can be free. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I will not call you forward or embarrass you. But I, won't, I don't want you to be embarrassed 
by making a decision today to repent of your sins and get right with God. So would you be bold enough to just quickly throw your hand in the air and put it right back down if today you're going to ask God to come into your life and become your Lord and Savior and forgive you of your sins. No one's looking around. Just right now, just quickly throw your hand in the air and put it right back down. Come on. I thank you. I see hands everywhere. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Even online, if that's you and you say that's me, would you just write in the chat, include me too. And then come on, Live Church. All of us together are going to pray with those who raised their hands as we say a simple prayer. Repeat after me and say, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes. And I'm asking you now to forgive me. I'm sorry for hurting you. But I believe Jesus is the Son of God. And he came and he died on the cross to forgive me of those sins. So as I ask for forgiveness now, I know you're wiping my slate clean. I get a fresh start starting today because of you, Jesus. I love you. I make you my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. And the church wildly celebrated as everyone said, amen. Come on, you are new.